All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith, and here we go now with day one of the BC vaccine card. Proof of vaccination now required to enter a restaurant, pub, movie theater, and other non-essential businesses. Let's speak to the cabinet minister in charge right now, Adrian Dix, BC's Minister of Health, and I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Minister, thank you for coming on today. Hey, great to be on the show, Mike. Okay, day one of the vaccine card, a busy day for you, I'm sure. Have you received any early reports on how it's going so far? Well, here's what we have. We have right now 85.8% of British Columbians received their first dose vaccination, almost 79% their second dose. And that number, you know, there's a delay between doses, so that number will, uh, will lag behind but catch up. That's an extraordinary response in terms of the world. We put out uh, the vaccine card for downloading less than a week ago. More than okay. 2 million people, Mike, have downloaded the card, wow. which shows, uh, which I think is an extraordinary response in a short period of time. And we had a very busy night last night. And we'll be announcing new numbers later uh, this morning on that. So we, we have those situations. I mean, what concerns me more than the whole question of the BC vaccine card and how it's going, and it's it's uh, it's really early moments right now, yeah. is the number of unvaccinated people in ICU. That's 114 as of Friday, and that is a very significant number. We have between five and 600 ICU beds for everything in BC, and that's the number of unvaccinated people in ICU. And, of course, we want them to get better. Our results in ICU are some of the best in the world. But I think everyone involved would rather be doing uh, other things, helping other people and not having people sick in their ICU. So those issues around hospitals and surgeries, those are the ones I'm focused on most today. Have you been forced to cancel any elective surgeries or transplant operations, anything like that, because of COVID patients taking up ICU beds? We've seen this in other provinces. Well, not transplant patients, but yes, there has been uh, in uh, the last uh, month um, cancellations of non-urgent uh, scheduled, scheduled surgeries. You know, we've done more of those in the last year than we did before. It's been an extraordinary response. But at a certain point, you have to make sure that the hospitals are safe. You have to ensure there's sufficient staff and ERs and to support critical care. And when you have, as I say, 114 people, just put that in context, 114 in critical care, unvaccinated with COVID-19. I mean, they are extremely sick. This is not just being in the hospital. This is being in critical care. That puts pressure on everything else. So have non-urgent scheduled surgeries been canceled as a result of this? Yes, they have. And we're working through that. And our commitment to those people, uh, they've been delayed, not canceled, of course. Our commitment to those people is to get them uh, re- new appointments as soon as possible and to sure. get them care. Because n- while well, we use the term elective, Mike, those aren't yeah. elective surgeries. Those are medically necessary surgeries. They're just scheduled as opposed to emergency surgeries. Okay. Speaking to BC Health Minister Adrian Dix, I'll open the phone lines right now. If you have a question about the BC vaccine card, which takes effect right now, here's your opportunity to talk directly to the minister. So I'll open the phone lines right now. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. 604-280-9898. Star 9898 on your cell. Minister, as I'm, I'm sure you're aware, there have been threats against some restaurants, uh, people on online threatening to phone in fake 
fake takeout orders as some sort of revenge or protest against the vaccine card. We've had the head of the BC Pub Association today saying some of their some of their workers have been, have been threatened. Uh, they're saying we're going to follow you home or assault you if you enforce this uh, vaccine card. What do you say to these these type of threats? Well, let's face it: such threats, for any reason, are despicable. Right? They're not justified. They're not courageous. They're despicable. Those kind of threats to threaten uh, workers in a restaurant for following the law, I think is is uh, I think a really disreputable thing to do. And I don't think, by the way, because we don't want to tar- to tarnish people here. I don't think they even represent the people, most of the people who are not yet vaccinated in BC. Many of whom are going to be vaccinated, I believe, as we continue to offer that vaccination everywhere. And and, and many of whom, of course, are are would never do such a thing. So we, we don't want to allow the behavior of a few to tarnish everybody. But um, but I would say just uh, point blank to to engage in such behavior, to make such threats, doesn't doesn't say anything about you except that it's despicable conduct. Okay, phone lines are open, 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Let's take a couple of calls here before the break. Miles and Comox, hi. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I had a question regarding uh, out-of-province vaccination proof. Uh, I'm an Ontario resident, fully vaccinated there, uh, visiting British Columbia for about a month here, and I'm wondering what I'll need to show to go to a restaurant today. And uh, what knowledge uh, have you provided to the service industry as far as out-of-province vaccinations? Yeah, and that information is available to people uh, in the small business sector in general and the business sector in general who are putting this in place. And you'll have to show uh, your vaccination status from Ontario, if that's what you have. And, uh, and examples of that are available. You know, what, what is, a, what is a legitimate vaccination status from other provinces is available and has been made available to businesses as well. So that'll be the situation. If you're becoming a permanent resident here, you'll be able to upgrade your va- vaccination status as well in British Columbia and get your own BC vaccine card. So, okay, so if you're visiting BC from another province, you've been vaccinated in another province, you just show your immunization card from that province and that will be that's acceptable. That's right. your, okay. Your immunization record from that province is acceptable uh, uh, because, of course, lots of people travel around. For, for people, um, so it's a provincially recognized vaccine record and, of course, your valid government photo ID to show what about- that you are who you say you are. International visitors yeah. um, uh, must show the proof of vaccination. You need proof of vaccination to enter Canada right now. So they need to show that proof of vaccination, of course, their passport and their ID. Joe in Kelowna. Hi, Joe. See, Joe, totally, go ahead. Yeah, I'm totally in favor of the vaccination card, although I don't use a cell phone, so I'm going to have to find a way to print one out and carry one around. But I have, I have two other questions. My wife is one of the ones whose surgeries has been bounced because of the unvaccinated uh, people taking up all the room in the emergency wards in Kelowna. She's in excruciating pain and uh, waiting day by day for a call to go back. So I have two questions. Wow. I, as a student of history in Kelowna, I noticed in the 1918 Spanish influenza epidemic, they opened up Kelowna's first high school as an alternate place to treat those with the flu to leave the hospital open. Are there any plans to do that sort of thing in Kelowna and Kamloops and other places like this? And Minister. secondly, are there, any, are there any plans to do anything with the unvaccinated in terms of of uh, much like an uninsured driver who has to pay ICBC back for uh, choosing to drive without insurance and committing a statutory breach. Is there any plans to claw back any money from people who are plugging up the emergency wards? Minister. 
I think that those are really good questions. And, uh, you know, our task and, you know, we canceled surgeries in 2020 and we went back and we, we made up all of those surgeries. As, as you know, we put enormous resources into that. The reason we have to cancel some what are called non-urgent surgeries and your caller is absolutely right. There's nothing non-necessary with these surgeries. These are all necessary surgeries is to ensure we have sufficient staff to deal with um, with emergency cases and to deal with the number, particularly of COVID-19 critically ill people in our hospitals right now. So we're making these adjustments to make the hospital work. It wouldn't add anything to that to open up another facility. It's not that doesn't have an appropriate operating room. We want to, of course, get the surgeries done right. And uh, if your caller wants to contact uh, my office, sometimes difficult to get through because people were jamming the phones last week, but contact my office or send me an email. We'll also follow up with him on his wife's case because obviously um, those are the people paying the price right now for uh, for people being unvaccinated. And what, it's really what, about, what about his question that if you deliberately, you know, you don't, you don't take the vaccine for whatever reason, you end up sick and taking up a hospital bed as a result. I mean, would a, would a government ever consider charging those people money, fees? Well, I, I wouldn't consider it, Mike. I no. think that we want to, we don't want to ask questions. Uh, you know, and this happens all the time. Someone makes a mistake uh, when driving. You know, we, we provide them with care. We, right. we provide people with care when they need it. And I think this is an important thing for people who are suggesting because they need a vaccine card to go to the hockey game, that they're not being well-treated. The people who are being most well-treated right now, the best critical care in the world, are the most outstanding critical care teams in the world, are people who are unvaccinated in critical care with COVID-19. Yeah. They're receiving outstanding care, and we're not going to—we're not on essential things like that going to discriminate against anybody. We okay. treat everybody well in our hospitals, and that's why everybody should treat our healthcare workers uh, well as well. All right, welcome back to the show, day one of the BC Vaccine Card. My guest is BC Health Minister Adrian Dix. Minister, real quickly before we go back to phone calls here, there are some restaurants in BC that are openly vowing to defy the vaccine card rules today and not ask for proof of vaccination. Will you shut those places down? What what kind of consequences will they face if they do that? Look, the provincial health orders are effectively the law, just like other things in restaurants, just like smoking rules and just like other health rules in restaurants. So it's our expectation that people follow the rules. Um, we're not going to say in advance how it's going to go. These rules are, of course, enforceable. But what we want, I think, is uh, to keep people safe. And these are social circumstances. And that's why the BC vaccine card is in effect and optional activities. And the reason why we're doing this is to avoid what happened in March, which was that there were, nobody could dine indoors at restaurants. And uh, what we have now is a situation where because of the BC vaccine card, we're going to be able to move to a more normal circumstances during a very difficult fourth wave of COVID-19. So uh, this is this is for restaurants. And we're just going to we're going to and people need to understand, I think, that this is this is the law. It's public. These are public health orders made necessary because we're in a pandemic that's affecting a lot of people. and, And you can see that from the numbers I described in ICU earlier. Let's go back to the phone lines. Dave calling from Hope. Hi, Dave. Hello. I have uh, read that people that have had one or more shots are considered unvaccinated for 14 days. Can you confirm how many of the 100-plus reported 
cases in ICU have had one or more shot? Uh, well, it's actually, um, there, there are three categories of information that we provided publicly uh, on Friday that uh, 114 unvaccinated them. They're partially vaccinated, and that represents a smaller amount. I believe that number was eight or nine, and then fully vaccinated was six or seven. So those are the numbers. James on the line in Surrey. Hi, James. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, my question is, I go to a restaurant, I'm fully vaccinated. I'm sitting, uh, all the other patrons are fully vaccinated. None of the staff has to be vaccinated. The hostess that seats me, the server that that waits on me, the kitchen staff, nobody. So what what is what is the reason behind all this? Because it's, it's redundant. If uh, the patrons have to be vaccinated, but the staff doesn't. Minister. Well, overwhelmingly, of course, the staff are vaccinated. And the same rules that apply to James apply to them as well in all of their activities in society. So we expect that. We're working with businesses to see people get vaccinated. And, for example, in long-term care and assisted living, it's challenging. But we're, we put in place a rule that says everybody has to be vaccinated. So I understand that uh, that uh, um, that uh, it's a different situation. But what the purpose of the BC vaccine card is to ensure that people who go to restaurants, who come together in those circumstances, come together at hockey games, come together in gyms, uh, are all fully vaccinated and have that safety. And that's an important protection. Right. And that's the purpose of the BC vaccine card is not to deal with employment circumstances, which we've been dealing with pretty significantly throughout the pandemic through WorkSafe and other ways. But just because a thing doesn't do everything doesn't mean it's not effective. This is an effective response to COVID-19 and allows restaurants to be open, allows James to be sitting uh, in that restaurant today rather than us considering having to move to um, the circuit breaker things we went to, for example, on March 29th. Okay, Shirley calling from White Rock. Hi, Shirley, go ahead. Hi, thank you. My husband and I are having a really difficult time getting our passports and we've had our second shots and they can't find any record of the first one and they keep telling us we've only had one dose. And and they say, well, we'll rectify this in seven, four to seven days, and it hasn't been rectified. We have called and called, and we have gone down to health services, and they took the wrong information from a husband. We just can't get any answers. That's okay, Minister, we- Minister, what should she do? Yeah, so we're working through it. As you know, people who are having trouble with smartphones or computers call one eight three three eight three eight two three two three. We have capacity for 50,000 calls a day. There is also the means to update your vaccine record if there's a problem with that. That takes a few days, as your caller suggests, but we're working through those as well. And, you know, so far, uh, more than 2 million people have got their cards, and we're working through everyone else. And if if, uh, your caller has concerns, um, leave a message with the show. And I know you you do this for your listeners all the time, Mike. You get in touch with and forward their issues, and I'll follow up uh, on her uh, specific issues uh, with her or have my team do that. Okay. And so, uh, and so uh, just uh, hang on the phone there or call back, and I know Mike will get the information to us. Okay, Shirley, please hang on the line, and the producer will get some information for you, or send me an email, mike at com. Anthony in White Rock, we just got one minute left. Anthony, you got like 20 seconds here, so go quick. Hi, in regards to gig workers, 
uh, you don't hear anything about that. Guys who uh, who can't be vaccinated work in a club, work in you know in the service industry, or you know that kind of thing. Banquet. Okay, so Minister, forth. we got thirty seconds. Like, what if you're a gig worker? You're playing a you're playing a band in a bar or something. Thirty seconds. Well, uh, I, what I'm what I think my message to everybody, Anthony, and everyone is get vaccinated. Uh, the number of people who can't be vaccinated is well under one percent. And the overwhelming number of people in this province have got vaccinated. And so we have okay. vaccination clinics available. Get vaccinated. That's that's uh, the answer for everybody, I think. Thank you. Concerns. Get vaccinated. Get your card and you'll have no problem. Thank you, Minister, for doing this. Appreciate it. Take care. Eh? All right. Welcome back. It's day one of the BC vaccine card. Proof of vaccination now required to enter a restaurant, pub, movie theater, other non-essential businesses. Let's talk about the largest sector impacted by the vaccine card. BC restaurants. My guest is Ian Tostenson, CEO of the BC Restaurant Association. Ian, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for taking the time and a busy day for, for you, no doubt. We're in the early hours of this new system. Are you getting any early reports of how this is going so far? Yeah, I've had a couple of breakfast places, and uh, one in particular in downtown Vancouver that's always busy. It's busy, and uh, we've heard uh, there's been no issues with customers. They're uh, lined up. They've got their documentation. That sounds kind of weird for a restaurant, but they're good to go with their Vax card and their ID, and so, so far, so good. I was just talking also to a gym owner in uh, Victoria, and they've had the same experience. They've had four classes this morning. People showed up. They're eager. So I think that we're playing into the to what BC wants here. They want this card. They want to go into protected, you know, a protected vaccinated area. So I think it's going to be pretty good, Mike. Okay, well, so far so good, uh, you know, and, and I agree. Most people want this. I mean, the polls are reflective of that. A very large majority of the public supports this, but of course, there is a significant minority that are uh, vehemently opposed. Let me play yeah. a clip here for you from Je- your colleague Jeff Guinard from Able BC, represents the bars and pubs in BC on uh, these online threats uh, from people to protest and to order, make uh, phone in food orders and not pick up not pick up the food just as some sort of revenge or protest, and then I'll get your thoughts. Jeff Guinard here. What are you trying to do if you're doing something like that? I mean, do you think it's the business's fault that we're implementing these orders? Right? It, it's, it's both stupid and cruel for that business. So we would just encourage our members, if you're ordering takeout, I mean, do whatever you want. We're going to take your credit card information over the phone and make you pay for it. Right? So we're not going to put up with anything like that. Okay, what do you make of this? I mean, is this just a, a an idle, empty threat online chatter, or is this real? Like, could you expect trouble? I think people are trying to get something to happen. Uh, I've had simply lots of threats, and a couple I followed through with with the police, and they tend to be sort of toothless. They're, they're frustrated people, and I get it. And so um, I think you had the uh, the sea lovers fish and chips chap on today and and they sent out 40,000 notes or or, uh, emails to their customers. They got about a couple hundred back of people that were mad. So there are people that are mad, but I think, I think as we get into this, Mike, in the next two or three days, it's going to be a bit bumpy. Um, I just think it's just going to become like we had masks. It's just going to be like, well, that's what we do. We just have to uh, to push back and not get uh, overly concerned about these, the, the people that are so negative with the small minority if they cause a, a problem in front of the restaurants and, and it's if it's serious enough, we'll phone the police. But if not, we have a lot of inspectors out that, or the government does, uh, with work safe liquor inspectors, health inspectors that will be there to support us. 
Um, they can uh, actually levy fines against people that are being belligerent and ignorant and stupid. And, uh, and ultimately, when the, if a business will see this today, too, I think there's going to be some businesses that will not comply. And uh, we'll have to see how quickly the government acts. Our request has been to, to find them and shut them down if it's being deliberate and an intentional act of defying the health order. That's okay. just not on for us. Okay, well, I just asked Health Minister Adrian Dix that precise question. What will you do with restaurants who defy this vaccine card and say they're not going to enforce it? And all he would say was, look, this is the law of the land now. There are consequences for breaking the law. And yep. he didn't he didn't really want to be more specific than that. But you say you want to see like heavy enforcement. You want to see these rest these places shut down if they refuse to comply. Is that correct? Yeah, totally. And I know it aggravates wow. people, but because people say, Why well, are you shutting down businesses? They have the opportunity and I've talked to several of them. That's why I feel quite passionate about this. Ask them to do the right thing, ask them to be part of the system and and told them that frankly this is not going to turn out well for them because they will get closed. But there are a list of restaurants and the government has this that are openly defying this. They're saying, you know what, we're not going to pay attention to this. We're going to go about our business the way we want to. And I think, uh, and I think the government's got has those have those businesses on their radar. And it's not an easy process. You can't just walk in there and close a person. You have to go through a bit of a process. But we're confident because so much, Mike, is the integrity of the thousands of businesses that will do this right. And uh, and I just don't think we can be undermined by a handful of people that just you know they've got some issues that they want to whatever they're trying okay. to do. Okay, there's thousands of restaurants in B.C. that are going to enforce this rule starting today, and I know that some of them are nervous about how it's going to unfold. What happens if you get an angry customer? And you mentioned Brad McLeod, who's the owner of uh, Sea Lovers Fish and Chips, and he was on with Simi this morning, and here, here he is talking about how do you handle an angry customer that is angry about this vaccine card? Have a listen to what he said here, and then I'll get your thoughts. We don't choose to do this. This is a government mandated um policy we have to follow we don't have a choice we have to do it if we want to be open for business we have to do it if they have a problem with this direct it at the people that make the decisions okay the health department the government john horgan ministry of health uh and that they're the ones who made the decision okay will there be signage displayed in restaurants explaining that look this is not our decision, this is a decision of the health of the province, the health authority, just to explain yeah. to people who's doing this. Yeah, every restaurant, has, well, they've, they've been provided with uh, um, uh, signage that says that exactly that, that we are complying with the provincial government of B.C. health order yeah. by law. And I think that for most people, that's going to be enough to sort of go, you know, what, what are you going to try to do, like go in there and try to convince a host in a restaurant that's maybe 20 years old that you should come in. So I don't. I just don't think it makes a lot of common sense. Um, so I think Brad's right. I mean, take it, take it somewhere else, but don't go against, you know, these small businesses that have been suffering, you know, just as equally important as our young employees that work in their restaurants and put them into this kind of situation. It's just garbage. It really is. So um, I think that the public's starting to push back, the general public here, Mike, I sense that, that people are getting a little bit tired of this. And we'll start talking about, you know, enjoying ourselves and going to restaurants and movies and concerts again and just kind of ignore uh, as fast as we can this minority. That's that's yeah. that's unreasonable. Uh, it's really unfortunate that you'd have these sort of at least threats being made right now for our, we're going to phone in fake food orders to your restaurant. We're going to harass your staff. I mean, these are some of the threats that are being made right now in an industry that's already gone through hell during this pandemic and many of them gone under others just hanging on by their fingernails to get through this thing 
and now they've got to deal with these knuckleheads making threats like this. And I, I asked Adrian Dix, the, the health minister, about that a short time ago, and here's what he had to say, and then I'll get your thoughts. So here's Dix a short time ago on the show. Let's face it, such threats, for any reason, are despicable, right? They're not justified. They're not courageous. They're despicable, those kind of threats. To threaten uh, workers in a restaurant for following the law, I think is, is uh, I think, a really disreputable thing to do. Okay, it's Adrian Dick speaking earlier on the show. And, you know, he repeatedly made the point that the reason the government is doing this is so they don't have to shut restaurants down. This is about keeping yep. places open. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, his words were great. That's exactly what's happening here. I mean, if we start to go to what we had last uh, fall where there were limited hours shutting down, we start losing staff. It just, it, this is a better way. It really is. And, you know, but there was a, a letter being circulated in Vancouver Island this weekend that made me so angry. It's from the Canadians people, Canadian People Union, whoever they are. And they were giving a, uh, a very formal-looking letter to restaurants saying that if you do this on Monday, i.e. take the VAX card, uh, we're going to sue you. And, and here, yeah. I had so many small businesses. They were just rattled by that because they can't tell whether it's true or not or who are these people. And so we've left ourselves, we have a, we're encouraging business to call us with anything that's, that's bugging them in our sector, and we'll get to it because the only thing they have to worry about is complying with the BC, the BC government's health uh, requirement on this and nothing else. And it's just really sad that people are just, I don't know what the word is, Mike, it's just incredulous that people would take the time and waste their time trying to scare small business people. And in some cases, it, it, it does, they do scare them. What do you say to the criticism that, okay, you're going to require proof of vaccination to go into a pub and sit down and have a beer, but the bartender who's pouring you the beer on the other side of the bar does not have to have proof of vaccine, is not required to be vaccinated. Is that, I mean, is that a hole in the system? Well, it's hard to square that. I agree. It's a hole hole in the system because employment standards, and um, the Human Rights uh, Act in B.C. does not allow us to ask uh, for and, and cause someone to be vaccinated if they're a current employee. But we can, with a new employee, we can make it a condition of hire. But what we're finding is... Well, but, well hang on, though. Hang on, though. I mean, there, there's been at least one company in Victoria that owns, like, the Barden Banker and the Penny Farthing and, some, and the Irish Times, some of the, the biggest, most popular bars in Victoria. That company is requiring all their staff to be vaccinated. Yeah, and that's and then we like that, but they could be challenged. I think for you know, it, it could be challenged. There is it's a gray area, and they probably will be challenged. But you know, most people uh, that work in our industry, uh, they're young and they're getting vaccinated. We're seeing most restaurants just telling us that you know they're at ninety ninety eight one hundred percent because the people that work there they want to do things. I mean, if they're not vaccinated, they can't even eat in the restaurant that they work in after hours. They'd have to go sit in the back somewhere. So. Uh, and that's number one. And number two is the other safeguard, Mike, until this maybe changes, is that we've demonstrated, you know, high high standards when it comes to health, vaccinated or not. Our staff are masked, uh, you know, high hygiene standards, health standards. So we're not concerned about that at all. But I do agree. I mean, it, it would be better and ideal and probably more aligned with what the government's trying to accomplish in terms of vaccines if we could get that, that requirement from, but it would have to come from uh, BC Health, and so far it hasn't. Ian, we'll see how the rest of the day goes. Thanks for taking the time this morning. 
Thanks, Mike. Take care. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about break-ins, vandalisms, assaults, property damage, and general mayhem in Vancouver. More and more businesses complaining about a rash of break-ins. They want something done about it. Let's talk about that now with my guest, John Clarides. John is the owner of the Marquee Wine Cellars store. I'm very pleased to welcome him. John, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. Hey, hey John, how long have you operated your wine store there, the Marquee Wine Cellar? Uh, since 1986. Wow. But uh, my family, we've had businesses in the West, uh, businesses in the West End since 1958. Wow, that's amazing! And all we, and all on the West End, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And your and your wine set, your wine store, I believe, is on is on Davies. That's correct, ten hundred yeah. block Davies. Okay, okay. What happened? Uh, tell me about the break in. When did that happen? Uh, oh, it happened. I think on uh, this past Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, woken got a phone call from my uh, security company, and uh, window front window was smashed, and then. I realized when I got down there, as I was boarding it up, they stole uh, our electric e-bike, a branded e-bike that we use for deliveries in the West End and downtown because it's quicker to get down through the bike lanes for small orders. Yeah, and a lot of people may have seen the photos of your place smashed up, John, and, and like there were some huge windows there at the front just completely destroyed and smashed in. Were there some other stores that were also targeted on that block? Well, not that particular day, but uh, across the street from me, there's a Bassa Optical at 1033 Davy. There, one of their windows is broken. Uh, two doors up from me, uh, there's the Sun Canyon place. Their front glass is broken. And half a block up the street, uh, there's a restaurant called Faux Noodle House. Their front oh, yeah. window is broken. And I was talking to the Business Improvement Association. There's been about six or seven windows in the last month. This is the second time my window's been broken this year. Oh, and man. the nightclubs are closed. I have a nightclub on either side of me, and they're closed. So um, it seems to be part of doing business in, in BC or in Vancouver, and it's just getting, getting substantially worse. Yeah. Now, you've been down there for a long time, as you mentioned. Is this the worst you've ever seen it? Absolutely, categorically, the worst. I've ever seen it. Specifically, they've uh, the city has put in, put um, excuse me, um, how, you know uh, uh, halfway houses on Burnaby Street, Granville Street. So it's it's concentrated the uh, the element in in these same buildings. And uh, it, it's it's someone on Twitter just put seven seven car break ins uh, in one night on uh, on Burnaby Street. So. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm putting the blame squarely on the city on this one for uh, not really addressing the problem properly. Yeah, and as you mentioned, like the nightclubs that are on uh, near your your stores have been closed, so it's not like these are drunks spilling out of the out of a nightclub at night. No, there's some, no, there's something else going on. Oh, a hundred percent. There's something else going on, and yeah. quite frankly, the nightclubs are pretty good tenants. Um, I haven't had a lot of problems with them over the years. Yeah, you uh, you mentioned that there was an electronic bike, an e-bike that was taken from your place, and Correct. you use this for local deliveries. And it's a very you posted a photo of it on social media, and it's a very distinctive looking bike because it's got like a it looks like is there like is that like a cooler on the back of it, like a place where you can put yeah yeah go it's, it's it's got a lockable box on the back of it that I yeah. have built. And you can put, you know, a case and a half of wine in there. So when we got our, our, our corporate uh, orders and our customers in the West End, we can just 
you know, shoot them. Uh, just we can do, do the deliveries quite quickly. Yeah, yeah. It's a, no, it's a very distinctive looking bike with your logo yeah. on it and stuff. And how much yeah. is that worth? That bike total with everything is about uh, seven thousand dollars. Oh man! Oh gee. <laughs> Plus the windows, you know, a thousand bucks. So uh, you know, this is straight out of the bottom line. But you know, as I said, the mayor and his his acolytes don't really seem to care. And uh, there's businesses uh, being broken into. I had an email from the lady on Robson Street, uh, uh, Sachi. Her front window and her statue were, were demolished. So it's, oh, it's been pretty bad. Yeah. Okay. Speaking, bad. Of, speaking of John Clarides, John is the owner of the Marquee Wine Cellar store on Davy Street. Uh, the reason I mentioned the bike and this very distinctive looking bike, because I noticed yesterday on social media, you posted another picture of the bike and you said, I think you said that someone had spotted the bike. They had seen it. Correct. And that's erroneous. I had the police investigate that. Okay. And I actually walked by there and it's actually a mobility bike covered in a, in a proper uh, bike cover. So that's okay. I was going to post that on social media and, and uh, tell people that it's not uh, not correct, but I appreciate the client that emailed me. Yeah, people are up, people are on the lookout. People are on the lookout for this bike. Uh, it's a distinctive looking bike. Um, okay, so you mentioned that you you blame the mayor. Why do you blame the mayor? Uh, I think he's just been way too soft on um, on on crime. You know, if you, you know, this is all drug field, and yeah. if you want to use drugs, fine. You want to sell drugs? That's a problem. And it needs to be addressed. And there's actually uh, organization in Italy that does an incredible job. It's been around since 1978. It's called San Patriano. Yes. yes. Uh, and, and, you know, we don't have anything like that here. The key thing with it is all privately funded. It was started by a very wealthy hotelier. And one of the things that they do there is they teach you one of, of a myriad of different trades. So when you come out, which is between two and four years later, you have a skill as opposed to just housing people. So it's a pretty successful organization. I'd like to see something like that get started in British Columbia. And the key thing, again, is no government involvement. It's all privately funded. Yeah. Um, and you know we have some pretty affluent people in this province, and uh, an abundance of land, so it'd be kind of interesting. You you meant get something like going. You mentioned John that you've been in business down in, in the West End for a long time, like decades, and your family. Uh, that neighborhood. I mean, can you tell me a little bit about that neighborhood? Like in in the past, was it generally a, like a a peaceful neighborhood? It's gone through its ebbs and flows. Um, in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, a lot of uh, people from the suburbs used to come down downtown and rip through the neighborhood. They would come out and, uh, you know, it's a predominantly gay neighborhood. They would come out and, and look to, you know, beat up, beat up, you know, the gay people. Yeah. And uh, that we had a restaurant on Davy Street. Sometimes employees would come to work bruised or, uh, oh. you know, they were telling me about assault. So anyway, that's changed. And it, it, it's, it's a great neighborhood. Local people live there. They work in the neighborhood. They're hardworking people. And they just want to mind their own business. Now it's not safe for anybody. Anybody. And we just read, actually, 
and I'm not sure it happened in the West End. I think it was someplace else downtown. Someone in a wheelchair was assaulted. Oh, my what God. It, yes. What, what does it take for a city council and leadership to say, you know what? Our constituents are not safe anymore. We need to do something about this. And they sat passively by. And it's not great. I mean, you know, what, what, when is a child or a senior going to get hurt? By one of one of these one of these uh, dissidents of just hanging out up to no good, and it's 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 really really concerning, and uh, it's not the same not the same neighborhood that it once yeah. uh, once was. Yeah, I mean, this was the the assault you're describing is one of the most shocking that I think many people have ever heard about, and disgusting actually and depraved. You're talking about a 76-year-old woman, 76, in a wheelchair, uh, victim of a violent sexual assault, uh, suffered life-threatening injuries. I mean, that is just absolutely shocking. It is. It is. And yeah. who does that? And that, that's, that's unheard of in this city. And yeah. so this is what's happening. And it slowly became, and it's getting to be, I don't want to say lawless, but... Fairly, I mean, I can take care of myself. I don't. I'm not going to walk through here at night. It's, it's it's shocking what's happened, and something has to be done. And I would like to see the leadership uh, be proactive on this. And so far, really haven't seen anything. What What do you think could be placed in higher priority? Like you mentioned, that you'd like to see some more treatment, more effective treatment for drug addiction. Which I and I agree with you on that. But do you think there should be more like police enforcement in the neighborhood? Well, there's, there's, you know, beat cops for sure. Also, what they've done at Davie and Butte is they've closed off the street. So they have Jim Diva Plaza. And Jim, Jim, like, I knew Jim Diva. He's a great guy. Was a great man until he passed away. And then on the other side, on the, I believe the north side, where the liquor store is, they've closed off those streets. It's a haven just for people to sit around, mull about, and do drugs. They need to reopen those streets up again. Uh, hmm. So we can get traffic flowing through there. It's, why did they? Why did they shut those? Why did they shut those streets down? Um, you know, I I'm not really sure. They they want more you know public spaces and more people where they can sit and congregate. But you know, the wrong type of element. From what I've seen walking by there is 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 hanging out there, and uh, it's not not great. Even talking to the police uh, police department, they're not happy with it either. They need they need to open it up. More beat cops. Yeah. Uh, walking up and down the street, uh, in through the back alleys, more police presence on the street. Yeah, well, again, hey, by bicycles. John, okay. last last question for you, John. Uh, and I'm sorry that your your place has been trashed like this again. Uh, is there anything you can do to protect your store? I mean, have you got like security cameras in there, or can you put bars on the windows? Which is a yeah. sad thing to ponder, but. What I'm probably going to, you know, we have security cameras, but, you know, they were in and out. I have a video of it. They're in and out in 20 seconds. I mean, it, huh. it was amazing what they've done. So it'll be roll, sh the, the next level will be roll shutters. It's going to be abhorrently expensive, but I'll do it, do it over a period of time. And I'll end up looking like, you know, an Eastern European bloc country instead of being able to people look in my window as they're walking down the street, which is a form of advertising. So yeah. that's, that's the next, uh, that's the next, uh, level of security pretty pretty sad it's come to that like the roll shutters like the steel steel shutters which roll down in front of your window right correct yeah correct. yeah but yeah. I, I like my did, i'd like to go ahead sorry did, did you ever think you'd have to install something like that in that neighborhood in, that, in your store 
in the back of my mind, but it's uh, rapidly becoming a reality. Yeah, yeah. John, thank you for coming on. Yeah, go ahead, John. Go ahead. No, I, again, I'd, I'd love all, anyone who's listening to Google San Patriano. Yeah. I think it's a great organization. And here's the interesting thing. One of the skills that they teach you there is winemaking. And the winemaker is a fellow, at least 20 years ago when I met him, was a guy called Ricardo Cotterell. I had him actually come to Vancouver and do a, a tasting of his wines. And he was very proud of being able to work with San Patriano and helping people learn a skill, gaining willful employment. We don't have that here. And it'd be great if some of the more affluent people in BC um, started something like that. John, thank you for coming on today. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about Ripper, the talking duck now. Ripper was the nickname given to a musk duck that lived in Australia in the 1980s. Now newly rediscovered audio recordings of Ripper suggest the duck was able to mimic human speech. We're going to play some of this for you here in a second. Now we've all heard that parrots and other birds are certainly capable of doing that, but could this be the first clear evidence of a talking duck? Let's discuss now with my guest, Carol Ten Kate professor in animal behavior at Leiden University in the Netherlands, and I'm very pleased you could join us. Hi, thanks for coming on. Yes, hello. Good, thank, uh, good th- morning. Good. Mo- hello to you, and thank you very much for doing this. Uh, let me ask you about this particular duck. So this is a, a duck. It, was, it got the nickname Ripper. And where did this duck live? Was this someone's pet, or no, it lived in a park, right? Yeah, it lived in a park, Titbembilla. Uh, so that's a bird park, and that's also the reason why it produced these highly deviant vocalizations. So it was hand-reared as the only male around. And uh, apparently this duck species needs to hear conspecifics around it, so members of its own species around it, to develop the normal vocalizations. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it was hand-reared, so it copied sounds around them which might be from an animal caretaker or also a slamming door of the aviary and things like that. Okay, that's amazing. So this was a, uh, a musk duck that lived in Australia in the 1980s. And how was it that you came across these, uh, these audio recordings of the duck? Yeah, I was uh, writing a paper on, uh, as a scientist uh, on focal learning in birds. And uh, therefore, I was looking all sorts uh, of literature, and I came across a reference to an Australian duck which uh, would imitate speech. And I thought that's incredible. If that's true, that would be that would be very exciting. So I traced the reference, and in the end, it brought me to the Australian Sound Archive, where they had a copy of the recordings which were made in the 80s. And when I heard those recordings, I was really convinced that it wasn't a, a hoax, but that it really was a duck imitating human sounds. Okay, well, let's listen to some of this, Professor Kate. And this is the first time I've heard it, too. So I'm super excited about this. So let's play some audio here of the uh, Ripper the Duck. And this is recorded in the 1980s in Australia. And you are going to hear this duck appear to say, You bloody fool. Have a listen to this. <laughs> you, you bloody fool. 
So that's really a duck saying that. You said that you're convinced this is not a hoax. That is actually a duck speaking there. It absolutely is. So when I discovered these recordings, it turned out that the man who made these recordings, Peter Felliger, uh, that he was uh, alive and around. And I managed to get in touch with him, and he could tell me quite a bit of more background information. And that actually was the basis of the article we in the end wrote together, and which has just now been published. And it turned out that it wasn't the only duck mimicking other sounds. So there was a second duck in the park which imitated uh, uh, a black duck. Now, black duck sounds very much like uh, a mallard uh, um, and uh, a sort of real quack sound, which uh, normally this musk duck doesn't produce, but it produced a very accurate copy of this quacking sound. And we also discovered that uh, some eggs of the species were hatched in a British, in Br- two British bird parks. And there also some males emerged with imitated uh, their caretakers. So one imitated is reported to imitate a coughing caretaker, another one a snorting pony and a squeaking door. So uh, really it seems to be the case that uh, this individual wasn't exceptional, but that it is the species as a whole, which is quite exceptional among ducks and geese as the only species capable of uh, imitating other sounds. Okay, that's fascinating. Now, everyone's familiar with like a talking parrot or a minor bird or a songbird. Is this the first evidence of a talking duck that you're aware of? Yeah, it is. It is. And you're mentioning the minor birds and the the parrots. And uh, so far, and that's what makes this uh, rediscovery exciting, is that uh, vocal learning was only known from three of the sort of 35 to 40 bird groups. So the hummingbirds, the parrots, and the songbirds. And the idea is that it arose in the ancestor of these three groups. Uh, So only three times among birds it seemed to have evolved. And all the other 35 to 40 different bird groups, uh, in none of them is there any evidence so far of imitation of the kind that we see in this bird, in this duck species. So that makes it really extraordinary. So it might have been the fourth independently uh, evolved case of focal learning in the whole bird family. Last question for you, Professor Kate. What do you say about this particular duck? It appears to have evolved to the point where it could imitate these type of sounds and imitate human speech. What kind of evolutionary... Uh, advantage would a duck have being able to imitate sounds like that? Like, did this give this particular duck species some sort of a, you know, uh, an advantage? Yeah, that's a very good question. And quite frankly, we don't yet have the answer to that. So it is a species which is deviating in its behavior in several other ways from other duck species. Uh, So it has a a different mating system, the young are also looked after by the mother and fed by the mother, which is quite a rare trait among uh, duck species. And so there are a number of other things in which this species deviates. But what advantage the actual vocal learning brings to it? Well, that's an open question, and it really requires uh, more research on the closest related species uh, of this particular species, and those are species of which we really do not know much about at the moment. Okay. So that's the open question for the future. Okay, well, it's a lot to, for you to research, and thanks for coming on to talk about it today. Fascinating.
Well, thank you.